1: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. Eighteen plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: Everyone at Sports Social, both in front of the mic and behind the scenes, join the rest of the United Kingdom as we mourn the loss of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Her Royal Highness passed away peacefully yesterday afternoon at her residence in Balmoral in Scotland. We share the sorrow of the nation and millions of others around the world who mourn her loss and we'd like to extend our deepest sympathies to the Royal Family. This morning, we await further news from the UK government, the Football Association, the Premier League and other stakeholders in the game as to whether this weekend's football will go ahead as planned. At the time of recording, Friday evening's EFL fixtures have been postponed, but there's been no confirmation as yet whether the Premier League fixtures this weekend will be going ahead or not. As the country enters a period of national mourning, I'm sure you can appreciate that that will change things for a short time here at Football Social Daily. On today's podcast, we reflect on yesterday's sombre news and what impact that may have on the sport in the immediate future. Yesterday's European matches involving English sides did go ahead as planned, with Manchester United, Arsenal and West Ham United all competing. We'll discuss those games also on today's shortened edition of the Football Social Daily podcast. Welcome along. My name's Niall McCorn and joining me today, Joel Tudor and Ian Brannan. Morning to you both. Hope you're well. Good morning. Um, Yesterday's news, obviously, Ian, a a big shock to everyone, not just here in the UK, but around the world. Naturally, there is a sombre mood around the country today and... As was discussed between myself and a few other people yesterday when I heard the news, it puts into perspective uh, sometimes that football isn 't the most important thing that that we have
2: yes absolutely and and I think you just have to look on your own social media feeds, whether that 's you know, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or anywhere else to see you know the the outpouring of of emotion, and we see this occasionally in in our lives, and it 's not often of course that we we go through something like this. we have never any of us experienced the death of a monarch in this country uh, for, for the most part of us there 's very very few people around that will remember uh, the, the the last time that this occurred because of course it was just after the the second world war and a very very long time ago, so for the most part, the vast majority of the country we 've never gone through this process of course it 's something that we 've Anticipated for many, many years, decades. That, that this was always a possibility because that is that is life. That's that's what happens. And um, you know, now we um, await. We, it, we'll go through the the mourning process that we're in. Um, everything takes a a back seat. Um, there is no one more important in our country than the monarch, and uh, her passing needs to be rightly. Reflected on in 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 the right way, and uh, of course, in our constitution of our country, there is a certain process of things that we we go through. Um, it, it is a, a major major historic event that we will talk about, and our children will talk about for forever. Um, and and we are living through a historic moment in our time. And um, yeah, you know, football. Is not part of that really at this moment in time, and uh you know yeah we're living through a historic event and and when this happens as well, I think that as we saw with Diana particularly um you know people form a an emotional connection with the royal family, not everybody does, and I know that the royal family are not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but of course for yeah. the, for the vast majority of people you know they they are. They are a key part of their lives. And people think of the Queen as a almost a relation. You know, they, they worship her. They've they've followed her their entire lives. She's been a constant, one of the few constants in, in all of our lives from day one. She's been there. And we've sat down for the Queen's speech at Christmas when there has been a time of major trauma in our country. She's been there offering words of support. And people have hung on her every word and feel uh, that she is a... Uh, Almost a family member, you know, so for those people, you know, it is a, it's a very, very sad time, of course, for all of us. But for the, some people are really more connected and that outpouring of grief will be the same as or similar to, uh, you know, someone in their own family. So we, we can't underestimate what it means to, to some people in, in the country and, of course, to the royal family, of which
3: um, Prince William, of course, is the, uh, the uh, patron of the F.A. You're right when you say that she's been a constant and an ever-present and in terms of how that relates to the sport we all love and the sport we talk about on a daily basis, football clubs are sort of similar in a way that they've been a constant, they've been an ever-present throughout people's lives. As we've discussed already very briefly, her death will likely mean a period of national mourning, which we're in now, and it will likely mean, Joel, the cancellation of matches. We're still waiting to hear of any direction from the FA, the Premier League or any other major stakeholders in the game as to whether matches this weekend will take place. My hunch is that they probably won't but we'll wait and see what happens because at the time of recording we don't know the answer to that question. We know that there will likely be games postponed though at some point down the line whether that's this weekend or midweek or next weekend. If that happens, that will of course increase the intensity of the football schedule. So bringing it back to football for now with the World Cup coming up, for example, um, it might become difficult to to get all the games in. Um, and obviously, there are extenuating and external circumstances here beyond anyone's control. It's just another obstacle for people to deal with, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it's an unforeseen one as well. It's something that's very nation-specific. So it's something that, like we've all mentioned, it's something that would have would have come eventually. But it's just come at a time where it's the most strange place in football as well at the moment having our first world cup in the summer which has already strained the schedule so it's going to be really interesting to see how they manage to maneuver around this because as we've already seen and we're going to see over the next weeks ahead the fixture is going to become the fixture list sorry is going to become massively congested and there's going to be a hell of a lot of workload um for the players obviously that November to December period is just going to be a complete blackout period because of the World Cup and then coming back into January you've got the FA Cup starting again the League Cup will already be in full swing as well as you know the European competitions that will be reaching the knockout phases soon after so there is a worry of course for the quality of the games and trying to fix the congestion and the, the fixture list during that time but There's nothing that you can really do about it, is there really? I know that it's up to the organisations to take it upon themselves to actually decide whether or not they will or will not. I think there's a meeting at 11 o'clock today to decide what the next steps will be. So I guess we just have to take the development step by step and just try and plan ahead because I don't think any of the organisations were ready to plan for even more congestion or fixture cancellations after, you know, COVID completely uh, changed the whole fixture list around again. And they had to push everything into August time when I think we all remember a Champions League final in August, which was quite bizarre in itself. So, It's going to be hopefully one where the players don't take a strain because as we all want, we want a World Cup which is top quality. We don't want players going into it completely drained or we don't want players coming out of it completely drained, going into a really heavy fixture list. So I just hope that in the end it really is able to benefit the players more than anything.
3: You're right about the fact that there will be a meeting between all of the Important figures involved in making a decision as to whether the weekend's games will be on or off this weekend is there an argument, Ian for the longer that it's left to make this decision, and I think it's important that the right decision is made and that you know everyone is consulted accordingly on this decision, whether it's to cancel the games or not. Does it feel like there is an argument for the longer that the meeting goes on and the longer the day draws on, the less? likely it is that the matches will be postponed because i think it's important to understand that we are in a period of national mourning but also there are people in this country who um, are struggling at the moment to make ends meet and a lot of people who look forward to their football at the weekends it's their form of escapism and lots of money gets spent on traveling to watch your team or even going to watch your team at home so i think that the longer it's left the more difficult it will be for that decision to be reached what do you think
2: yeah obviously there's a a lot of logistical things to think about and practicalities in in terms of cancelling it because not not least the 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 clubs themselves who have got to get people to places but of course fans who would be traveling and got that booked already they will not be able to get refunds probably and and uh you know hotels and whatever. you know th- th- there are that are those things to to consider of course that will be a consideration um I think that, as we know, you know, obviously the we've we've not lived through this before. Um, I've just been looking actually when um, we we had the last passing of a monarch, which was I think 1952. Um, football matches were not cancelled, um, but that was obviously a very very different time. Um, football matches were cancelled after the death of Diana. Um, so, it, it, I guess the the timescale is sort of a little strange in that if this had happened, if if the Queen had passed away today, then of course there would be no fixtures tomorrow. We have that little bit of extra time, maybe with the fixtures being cancelled tonight as a mark of respect, if they do something respectful, of course they'll do two-minute silences and things like that across the country. Would they continue? Um, That's the discussion they're they're having probably around the same time as we're recording this podcast, so uh, maybe we'll find out before the end of it. But um, i think there is a there is an argument to to proceed ahead um i think largely though the done thing that some other sports i know are, are, are doing is is cancelling everything this weekend and, and resuming on monday and of course yes there's there'd be that would lead to a bit of a fixture backlog with um with um, the football situation but um you know if any if something else had happened out of control i'm sure they would have they would have found a way to to reorganize those fixtures somewhere um so uh, it's it's about doing what's right, isn't it? That's what it is. And uh, many people will not feel in the mood, perhaps, for going to the football just as much as, as as many people are wanting the games on. So it's judging the mood, judging what's right, and handling it sensitively. Of course, the matches last night that we're going to talk about shortly did take place uh, and were done in a respectful manner. Um, but I, I think you know, as I say, this is not something you would think that 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 perhaps there would have been a general protocol on what would happen if already in place and that's what I'm surprised about you know that you'd think the premier League would say look in the event of the death of the, the monarch um, fixtures at the weekend will be immediately cancelled and it's all it's all dealt with and there because we know in like working in radio and stuff like that we know what the protocol is for when that happens we know that Every, all the music stops, and we put the news on for a couple of days. So uh, you, I'm, I'm more surprised that the decision hasn't already been made. You know, and it's already, everybody knows what happened. The Queen, if the Queen passes away, that weekend's fixtures are off. They just know it. You know, and the
3: Queen is a, a 96 or was, I should say, a 96-year-old lady who had in recent times been slightly struggling with her health. So it wasn't like it was a bolt out of the blue with, with all due respect. So mm-hmm. you'd think that they would have maybe well, had some I mean. sort of contingency yeah. plan in place. But as I mentioned before, in these times, it is up to the uh, the organizations themselves to make the decision. But you feel like once one makes the decision, if the mm-hmm. EFL decides all of their games will be off, it seems un. Uh, fathomable and unreasonable that the Premier League will continue their games as well. But you mentioned last night's matches which did take place in the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. Manchester United and West Ham were both at home. Arsenal were away in Switzerland to play Zurich. Um, This was a message from UEFA last night Uh, ahead of the Manchester United game against Real Sociedad at Old Trafford. They say tonight's UEFA Europa League fixture will take place as planned. A minute's silence was held before kick-off and that allowed the team's match officials and everyone in attendance to pay their respects to Her Majesty the Queen. Both teams wore black armbands and the flags at Old Trafford flew at half-mast as a sign of utmost respect. The digital boards around the ground were set to all black. There was no music before the game. There was no team photo, no mascots, Um. All fan channels went dark, broadcasts were pulled, there were no post-match interviews or pre-match interviews. Um, So it was a a sombre atmosphere at Old Trafford, a changed atmosphere, but there was still a game of football that was played. And uh, let's look at some of the football in a bit more detail now. Uh, Manchester United actually lost last night at Old Trafford 1-0 to Real Sociedad in the opening group stage game of Group E of this season's Europa League. I'll come to you, Joel, as you're the United supporter here. It shows to me, um, and I was actually there last night, that there's still plenty of work to do for Manchester United if they want to be successful again, because it wasn't the best
0: performance from the Reds yesterday. Yeah, it was really poor. Um, The Spanish teams continue to be united to Killy's heel, as always, in uh, European competitions. But yesterday, it just proved to me a couple of things. I think the first one was that, obviously, as everybody saw a lot of the players from the outside you know in the in the fringes of the team got a chance to actually show Ten Hag why they should be in the first team as in in the Premier League team and competing at the highest level in the highest games and quite honestly not a lot of them made a good account for themselves in what could have been one of their main opportunities for another couple of weeks now I mean, you saw the likes of Fred come back. I think I saw him hold up his hands more than anything in the game, apologising to his teammates because he kept making the wrong pass constantly. Um, I wasn't impressed with... Uh, Victor Lindelof and Maguire again, although they didn't put too much, too many feet wrong. I when thought you compare- Maguire
3: was, was okay, actually, Joel, but I agree with I thought Fred was very sloppy, actually in the middle, and there was just that element of sloppiness and rustiness about Manchester United, which will be of concern to yourself, I'm
0: sure. I, I mean, in terms of just having the partnership, which breeds confidence to the rest of the team, I don't want to pin all the blame on Maguire, because I know he didn't put too many feet wrong, but when you have the likes of Varane, and even when Martinez came on, it felt like such a more sure team and way more quicker play from the back rather than very slow build up and trying to build it round it just changes the dynamic of the team but especially Fred when when he was starting he just didn't make a great account for himself at all and I think it just showed the fact that there is still a number of players in the squad who are just absolutely not good enough to play for the team. Um so yeah it was just a very slow game and I think I've realized now that every time Ronaldo plays the whole dynamic of the team changes where it's almost as if they're looking for the Ronaldo pass more than they're looking for just the right pass and I think I've seen it in Bruno's game whenever he's not playing with Ronaldo he just looks for whatever's the best opportunity of pass in front of him whereas it feels like I don't know if these players almost have a pressure when they play with Ronaldo where they're scared of his reaction if they don't play him through or they feel as though they have to feed him in because he's the goal scorer. But every time Bruno plays with Ronaldo, he always looks for him more than he looks for anybody else and tries to find the impossible, which is just not on. And I think we, we're we seeing that more and more now. But yeah, it was a bad account for the whole team yesterday. But it's, I mean, I'm not going to overreact. These are players who have not played since, you know, early August in pre-season so it's going to take a bit of time but it was a really disappointing performance.
3: Yeah there were six changes from the weekend's win over Arsenal for last night's game against Sociedad including Cristiano Ronaldo in and including Casemiro his former Real Madrid teammate and now United teammate for his full debut but going back to Cristiano Ronaldo he did score a header actually in the game that was chalked off for offside it was an excellent header but the old Cristiano Ronaldo and I say that in inverted commas would have stayed on side there was a couple of occasions where he didn't really control the ball properly he was getting ran around by a 21 year old center half Jon Pacheco for Real Sociedad in my opinion and you know there was a header that really summed it up for me 40 seconds after the restart at the start of the second half where he'd normally bury those headers and he ended up heading it almost out for a corner towards the corner flag. Um, and I was looking at Cristiano Ronaldo, and it just felt to me maybe it was just one performance and he's not started a game for a couple of weeks, that he's lost his magic a little bit. Is that an unfair assessment? Is that disrespectful? Or is that just cold, hard facts, Ian? Um, Yeah, as you
2: say, he spent a bit of time on the sidelines. But to me, from from watching uh, him in those situations that you talked about, he just seems to be trying too hard. He's, he's, he's got desperation on his own shoulders, I think, and maybe putting himself under a bit too much pressure because, as you say, these were uh, things that he would have taken without without thinking you know,
3: in, in, his, I mean, in his prime. The header he scored that was chalked off mm. was an excellent header. It was vintage Ronaldo. He hung in the air. He strained every sinew of his neck muscles and powered through the ball. The goalkeeper got a hand to it, but it was too powerful to keep out. But as soon as you saw the replay... It was a yard and a yeah, half it. offside. It was a great header, but it was offside by a long
2: way. Um, as you say, I'm surprised that he, he ever just went for it, thinking maybe I'll get away with it. Obviously with VAR and all that these days, it's very unlikely that's going to happen. But um, it, yeah, it was a great header, but there's there of being, been loads of great goals scored that have been offside and uh, ultimately it doesn't count. But as you say, there's been quite a few wild shots that weren't on target, that were you know just lashed at. We saw him then in desperation towards the end of the game, starting to you know lose his footing in the penalty area a lot more, shall we say? Was going down very very easily and looking immediately at the referee, which it it just seemed like he was desperate to make an impact and show what he can do. And uh, I've not lost it, I've not lost it, kids, I've still got it. And uh, it was uh, you know it was it it just honked a little bit of he was trying a bit too hard and he needs to just chill out and he needs to accept I think that he's not. Now you know the kingpin in that whole operation. You know he's there. to Come on, do a job and get take his opportunities as and when they come. He's he he's going to have to get used to being a squad player, and that is going to be the hardest thing I think for Ronaldo to, to to realize that he the world does not anymore revolve around him under the the Ten Hag. Uh, era and um, that he's he's a he's, he's a cog in the machine he's not but he's not the main he's
3: not the machine yeah and of course Cristiano Ronaldo is the record goal scorer in the Champions League he is Mr Champions League isn't he and there were reports in the summer that he wanted to leave Manchester United to try and find somewhere to play Champions League football last night was just his fifth ever Europa League appearance the previous four coming 20 years ago Unbelievable when you think of it like that. Um, Sociedad, there's no doubt about it. The La Liga side, Joel, are the strongest team that Manchester United will need to face in this group of the Europa League. Two weaker teams to play are Sheriff Tiraspol, which is next Thursday, and Ammonia Nicosia, the Cypriot side. So although Real Sociedad are the sternest test and United have lost here, they should be okay to progress. But it's a little reminder of what's been the case over the last two seasons. United really need to be consistent
0: yeah and I've noticed in these competitions that are not the Champions League, whether it's obviously both the conference and the Europa League. It feels as though with English teams they have this air of entitlement when they go into them where they have a total lack of motivation, they field all of the kids not in this situation, but typically you know give chances to the players that don't usually get chances, and then it's only when It gets to the quarterfinals or the last 16 or the semifinals where they start kicking into gear and realise the finish line is actually quite close now we could be involved in a really good spectacle, which is the final. And every other team in their group, this is their moment. Like This is their thing that they've been waiting for all season. And you usually see it on the pitch where you see the other team. I can imagine when United play Sheriff in a couple of weeks or three weeks' time, the other team will be playing like it's their life depends on it in terms of how quick they'll be out of the blocks and pressing. So it's gonna be it's still gonna be a test in time for United. They need to find the motivation in this in this um in this group and in this competition because in the Premier League it's not granted at all that United will finish in the top four because it's so competitive this year. And who knows, this might be the only route into the Champions League next season because we can't be without it again especially in terms of the finances, in terms of just the overall plan of the of what Ten Hag wants to do. So they really need to start finding the motivation from somewhere. And I'm just hoping that yesterday was more so just a blip, maybe a symbolism of the kind of events that were going on and just the, the, the kind of subdued events around it. I'm just hoping it's that. But like you mentioned, Real Sociedad were the top side in the group, apart from United. So I would hope that the next fixtures against the other two sides are ones where we can pick up points quite easily and just progress out of the group because like I mentioned once you get out of the group I feel like the motivation automatically starts increasing then so I think that's what they're waiting on.
3: Manchester United beaten last night in the Europa League they lost 1-0 Real Sociedad but Arsenal managed to get the win in their group stage opener they were away in Switzerland against FC Zurich and they won by two goals to one. Eddie Nketiah the young striker and new signing Marquinhos were the players who got the goals in and what I took for from this result was that it's good for Arsenal to have varying scorers. If you think about who scored the goals for them this season so far, you've got Jesus who's chipped in, Odegaard the same, Martinelli's looked good, Saka at the weekend against Manchester United, William Saliba's also popped up with a goal, so's Granit Xhaka and you've got two new scorers last night, Nketiah and Marquinhos, so much like... Um Mikel Arteta's um, previous boss at Manchester City, where he was the assistant coach, Pep Guardiola, likes to share the goals around, or at least he has done before the arrival of Erling Haaland. It's good to have varying scorers, I think. What do you reckon?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Good to get goals from all over the pitch. And it's better than relying on just the one person who then invariably will get injured at some point and then it all goes wrong. Um it's good to see uh, obviously the the new signing there Marquinhos getting his goal on his on his debut as well. It was a it was a cracking goal, wasn't it? it just uh, took it beautifully bang in the top corner, top stuff. And uh, and, and please for here as well because he he you know he had a lot of fuss around him and he um He's been looked after quite a lot by Ian Wright, of course, as a Arsenal legend, and you know Ian Wright because he's he's on the TV half the time. But um, you know, Ian Wright sort of taking him under his wing. Um, Ian Wright is Eddie and Katie's hero. He sort of wants to be Ian Wright, and uh, you know, he went to he came to Leeds United, of course, a team I'm a fan of, and um, that was a what two three years ago. He came on loan. Um, Bielsa sort of played him a bit, but it was weird because Bielsa didn't use him very much because he, he didn't think that he did enough um, elsewhere in the game. You know, he was very good at, at, at goal poaching and all that, which is a fantastic thing to have, but, you know, he wasn't very good at tracking back and getting involved in defending and all this kind of thing that Bielsa wanted, you know, players like just running non-stop for the whole hour and a half. Um but he's very good at taking goals. <laughs> so, But every time he played him, he seemed to score. Um, and I think that maybe just his confidence maybe got a little bit too high and...
3: Um, Mm. uh, I don't know he he sort of found it it's funny when you you say that because I remember an FA Cup game actually at Fratton Park where Arsenal came to our place and played against Portsmouth and they played a changed team and naturally they were a a Premier League side one of the biggest clubs in the country coming to a League One side at the time and um, Eddie Nketiah started up front and he scored two goals and you could see the confidence he had and it was I I wouldn't say borderline arrogance I don't think that's fair but he was giving it to the Pompey fans and I thought I'm not sure about you yet, you know, son. I think he's still got a bit of learning to do. And I feel like that's the case because you look at his goal record for the England under 21s. I think he's got 17 goals in 18 games, which is just insane for the under 21s. So there's clearly talent there. It just feels like maybe it needs a little bit more polishing.
2: Yeah, I think I think they just needed to sort of rein him in a bit, as you say. Is he was very very confident and like even at Leeds, he, was, he had his goal celebration where he was running to the corner flag and dialing a phone number and sort of putting the phone to his ear and it's like you know call for a goal kind of thing when he was on his social media. And I thought, well, that's fine when you're doing it against. I mean, he was doing it for Leeds in similar to what you're saying. You know, in in cup games, EFL cup games where poor old opposition- Town, how could they
3: cope? Yeah, I know, I know,
2: right. So it's different when he's when he's in the Champions League, then or or in a Premier League match where he's not getting as much. So it's good to see that he is actually getting a European goal there, um, because there is undoubted talent. You don't want to knock his talent. You don't want him to feel frustrated, because I think that was the thing. You know, he, he felt that he should be a regular Premier League starter. Um, And it was that balance about, and, you know, do you stay at Arsenal and fight for your place, or do you go off to somewhere like Wolves and and you could be like a a superstar, um, but not necessarily have the the full education? And so it's good that he's getting there now, because I think, you know, if they can sort of nurture him and keep him grounded, that's the big thing. And it seems that that is working now. Keep him grounded, keep channeling him. You know, he he could be like a a megastar for Arsenal. And um, you know, so so I think that's the thing. He wants to be Ian Wright. He thought that he could do it really quickly, and I think they've had to keep him grounded and say, "Look, Ian Wright didn't do it overnight." You know it took him a while to be the Arsenal legend, um and scoring a few goals in the EFL Cup is not uh, is not how you do it. you need to do it at the top level. So it's good that he's stuck with it, I think, because it you know, as you say, his record speaks for himself, and he, he could be a major majorly valuable asset for uh, for Arsenal.
3: Yeah, Arsenal got the job done yesterday in their group stage opener against FC Zurich. They won 2-1 Marquinhos and Eddie Nketiah, the goalscorers there. West Ham was a sombre stadium last night. London Stadium paid their respects to Her Majesty the Queen and West Ham won their game in the Europa Conference League by beating FC SB, which is the old Stour Bucharest team. Uh, Three goals to one, the final score. It was a second-half flurry from the Hammers, which was enough to win the game. Joel, after going behind, you would have expected that West Ham had the quality to uh, to turn things around and that's exactly what they did.
0: Well, they had themselves sweating for a good period of it because I think when they went 1-0 down in the first half or just shortly after the second half, it was a pretty nervy, sorry, in the first half, it was a pretty nervy moment for them because they feel they had a pretty strong side when you looked at it on paper with Ben Benrahma and Cornet, Cornet. I think it was a an attacking lineup which should have definitely managed to kill them off quite quickly, but they just started out so slow. And, like I mentioned, the other team, Bucharest, they looked way more motivated going into it in the first half. And it, they just relied on their quality who actually scored. You know, Jared Bowen and Mikel Antonio, who had to both come off the bench to actually solve their issues. And I think it was a massive. Or it could be a massive turning point for David Moyes' side because obviously they've struggled massively in the league this season. And going into this one, I'm sure it was quite nervy purely on the basis that they just couldn't find their shooting boots. They've spent a lot this summer. Um, and judging from last season, I think they've really wanted to kick on. It's just not gone their way so far. And there's so much talent in that squad that it's actually baffling for me as well to understand why just why they haven't really kick-started it. But then... When you have a little bit of perspective, I mean, they played Manchester City in the first games, they played Chelsea away in the first game. It's not the easiest start for any team, but this is the competition that I feel as though they should definitely give a little bit of priority to as the season goes on. Just purely because, as we've seen, sometimes it is the best entrance into getting into the next competition, which would be the Europa League if they win it. And I think if everyone saw Roma when they won the first conference league ever last season, even though it's Roma, they're a massive club in Italy. If you saw the celebrations that Jose Mourinho was doing in the city of Roma when they actually brought the trophy back, it shouldn't be underestimated that it's still a European trophy. And even for a club like West Ham, that would be a massive I think a massive moment for the club and something they they could definitely go off, so i don 't think they should treat the competition lightly. I think it 's a really good opportunity for them um and it 's a good start for them they've they 've got a relatively easy si- um, relatively easy group with Anderlecht and Silkerborg to come, and it should be a group that they top I would say
3: yeah emerson' scoring as well last night, his first goal wasn 't really used much at Chelsea, and I like what you say about the Europa Conference League and I know that there's been some criticism and quips about the Conference League and the standard and the quality but it represents a good opportunity for clubs like West Ham who let's face it Ian don't really get into Europe that often it's only in the last two or three seasons that they've been able to get themselves into Europe so it's a great chance for them to try and win silverware something that West Ham also don't do very often yeah
2: absolutely, and I think they've they've got a decent chance, and this is a the sort of competition that they should certainly be aiming to get to the you know the the closing stages of um and I know that they had a decent run at it last time, but it is something that should be achievable for them. Um, and, you know, certainly with the size of their stadium, the, you know, the quality of their squad is, of course, not bad. There's there, there's no reason why they can't do well in this. And, you know, they are going to meet some fairly, um, you know, run-of-the-mill opposition from around Europe in this tournament. Of course, it will go up a notch towards towards the end when, you know, a few Champions League knockout um teams end up joining the the party and uh of course the best teams are are left and of course the the uh, fixtures are going to get more and more difficult but yeah they 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 should they should be looking for for a, for a win in this type of tournament um and the amount of money they've invested in their squad—I know it's not up there with Man City and so on—but they have still put quite a lot of money into it. They've got this big old ground that's got a lot of fans in it now. That's kind of starting to expect a bit of success and, and getting the taste of it. And yeah, they—they they sh- they should be going one better this year. And um, as I say, a lot depends on who they have to play. But um, if they can't—if they can't get
3: to the closing stages of that—then um, I would be very surprised. West Ham winners last night by three goals to one in their Europa Conference League game against FCSB Stau Bucharest. There was a minute silence last night before the game, of course, to commemorate the loss of Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, who died yesterday. And West Ham fans actually broke into the national anthem from the clips I've seen on social media. And um, that was a moment I think which I quite liked I must admit when I saw that last night okay Joel Ian appreciate your time this morning but that is it for today's episode of Football Social Daily of course we don't know just yet whether the weekend's Premier League fixtures will go ahead but as soon as we do know we'll let you know via our social media channels at FSDpod on Twitter you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook but for the time being wish you a very happy weekend and hopefully we'll see you again soon